News of the Times. Stories of when reverends go bad. Welcome to our new series focusing in depth on news stories of their day. In this series, we review stories of their day with a common theme. These episodes are a collection of stories that show a similar theme. Today's episode incorporates two separate news stories of reverends who have killed. The stories take place between 1679 and 1879. We hope you enjoy the show. We start our investigation into dangerous reverends with the story of the Reverend Robert Foulkes, which took place in 1679. Known murder, one. In short, the Reverend Robert Foulkes was a highly respected clergyman born in Wales. He became the vicar of Stanton Lacey in Shropshire. As was expected, he took a wife, Isabella, and she was the daughter of the former rector of Stanton Lacey, so she came from a good religious background. The couple had four children and were, by all accounts, a model family. But then... The previous vicar died and left a daughter, Anne Atkinson, who was left in the care of Reverend Robert Foulkes to act as her guardian. Baby Anne came to live in the house of the Reverend Foulkes, where she grew up to be a lovely young lady. An illicit affair was begun. The attentions he bestowed upon Anne were noticed within the parish, and rumours began. It was mentioned that he had been seen drinking at local alehouses and he was seen to be behaving badly by the local parishioners. From the Newgate calendar, 1679, the Reverend Robert Foulkes executed the 31st of January, 1679 for the murder of his newly born babe. This unhappy gentleman was a divine of the Church of England and had been very much esteemed for his learning and abilities. Few men were more capable of shining in a church or had a greater share of that sacred eloquence so requisite in a preacher. He was the minister at Stanton Lacey in the county of Salop, where he was exceedingly followed and admired till his crimes came to be known and where he might have been beloved till death in a natural way had taken him hence and then universally lamented if his heart had been as well furnished with grace as his head was with knowledge and his tongue with expressions a young gentlewoman of a considerable fortune who had been left an infant by her parents was committed to his care by her executors as to a man who, they trusted, would not only deal justly by her, but also instruct her in betimes in the principle of religion and her several duties as a Christian. But alas, how weak is human nature! How soon are we tempted aside from the ways of piety! Mr. Foulkes, instead of answering the purpose of the young woman's friends, was soon smitten with her charms, 
and took an opportunity of discovering a criminal passion for her. Though he had at that time a virtuous wife and two children living, the young lady too easily consented to gratify his lust, and they continued their conversation together till she became pregnant. Reverend Folks had been admonished for his poor behaviour by the Bishop of Hereford in 1676. His misbehaviour had also been raised by an ecclesiastical court. There was also a report of his having beaten his wife and the church warden when he had been admonished for his drinking. Robert Fawkes had little room to manoeuvre should any new scandal fall on his floor. With Anne becoming pregnant, the Reverend Robert Fawkes contemplated the potential severe repercussions. The scandal would have been tremendous with the potential loss of his job, his wife, his family, and with his reputation shredded. He would very possibly be stripped of his status by the church with all the associated house and income. Attempts were made for Anne to abort the child through traditional herbal abortifications such as Penny Royal. These attempts were all unsuccessful. His next recourse of action was to take Anne away for her to have the baby, with a fabricated excuse. The two travelled to West Felton, where Anne was delivered of a baby with medical assistance. Shocking enough, but even more shocking, was his killing the newborn baby on the 11th of December 1678 by stabbing the baby in the throat. From the Newgate calendar, 1679, all the means that he could think of to procure abortion were now tried, and they all proved ineffectual, so that they must be forth exposed to scandal unless she could be removed to some convenient place remote from the eyes of the world and from the jealousies of Mrs. Folks, where she might be delivered of her burden, which was not yet perceived. A plausible excuse for his going up to London was soon formed, and for his taking Miss along with him, who at that time was under twenty years of age. When they arrived in town, they took a lodging in York Buildings in the Strand, where she lay in, and where, shocking to think of, the child was privately murdered to prevent the infamy that might follow. Reverend Folks stabbed the baby in the throat and disposed of the baby corpse down a privy toilet that emptied into the River Thames at that time. He and Anne returned to Shropshire the following morning. The body of his stabbed baby was found and questions were asked. Anne was questioned and confessed to the crime, but also implicated the Reverend Folks. Both were arrested. In the trial, both placed the blame of the murder on the other. Anne stated that Folks had wholly taken the baby into another room where he stabbed it and the cruelly crammed it down a house of office, a colloquial term for referring to a toilet. Folks countered that Anne had given him the knife to kill the baby, 
Thirty minutes after he had put the baby's body down the toilet, Fox claimed Anne had taken a curtain rod with which she thrust the baby's body out of sight. From the Newgate Calendar, 1679. But divine vengeance would not suffer this horrible deed to remain long concealed, for before Mr. Fox went out of town, the girl was examined upon the suspicion of some women. When she confessed the whole and charged Mr. Fox with the murder, who was thereupon apprehended and committed to Newgate. In a short time after which he was condemned at the Sessions House in the Old Bailey upon the evidence of the young woman. On the 31st of January 1679, Reverend Robert Fawkes was executed at Tyburn, not with common felons, but by himself. In referring to Anne, it was said he spoke of his unfortunate companion with ill-conceived malignity. Anne was acquitted of murder. From 1679, Shropshire, we jump to 1871 in the extraordinary case of the Reverend John Selby Watson. This famous case at the time was referred to as the Stockwell Tragedy. Setting the scene, John Selby Watson was the headmaster of London Grammar School who married Anne Armstrong in 1845. He had studied classics and had been ordained in 1839. He had taken a curacy in Somerset before moving to the post in London in 1844. The school was quite successful, but by 1870 the number of pupils had fallen and the governors gave the 66-year-old Reverend Watson notice. On the 8th of October 1871, the Reverend Mr. Watson called his servant Ellen Pine to him and said that his wife had gone out of town. He added that she was to call for a doctor if she found anything wrong with him the following morning. She later found him unconscious and immediately sent for the doctor. Watson had tried to commit suicide by taking prussic acid. He had left two notes, one addressed to the servant containing her wages and the other addressed to the doctor. In this letter he confessed that he had killed his wife in a fit of rage, but his servant found him unwell too early and the Reverend Mr. Watson did not die. Anne Watson's body was found upstairs in a locked bedroom. The Reverend John Selby Watson had battered her to death with the butt of his pistol, which was found on Watson's dressing table. About Mrs. Watson and the Reverend Mr. Holmes, Anne was born in Ireland. The papers reported that she was born Miss Anne Armstrong from Dublin. Her father, owing to the failure of the French bank, lost almost all his means, and ultimately his daughters were compelled to adopt the profession of governesses. During the Reverend Mr. Watson's time at Trinity College, Dublin, he met with Miss Armstrong, and after twelve years of courtship, they were married at St. Mark's Church in Dublin. From the Illustrated Police News on the 21st of October 1871, the dreadful tragedy at Stockwell. At half past 
ten on Monday morning, Mr. William Carter, the coroner for East Surrey, resumed the inquest respecting the death of Mrs. Annie Watson, aged 67, who was found dead on Wednesday last, under circumstances which have caused her husband, the Reverend Mr. Selby Watson, late headmaster of the Stockwell Grammar School, to be charged with her murder. Sergeant George Hazel deposed that on Wednesday last he was called into the house at 28 St. Martin's Road by Dr. Rugg. He was in the company of Sergeant Henry. Dr. Rugg and Sergeant Henry went into the bedroom on the first floor where they saw the deceased, Mrs. Ann Watson, lying in a corner. She was quite dead. Mr. Rugg then handed Sergeant Hazel two letters. He read one of the letters which certainly pertained to the death of Mrs. Watson. He afterwards went into another bedroom where he saw Mr. Watson lying on a bed. Sergeant Hazel deposed, I said to him, I arrest you for the murder of your wife. He, the Reverend Watson, responded, I suppose so. Don't be violent. I then said to him, I am not going to be violent. He answered, I'm ill. I then arrested him. Sergeant Hazel went on to add, Yesterday at about six o'clock, I found in a drawer of Reverend Mr. Watson a shirt belonging to him. I produced it. The wristbands were torn off and there were stains of blood on each sleeve. Sergeant Hazel continued, I searched the house and on the floor landing from the library to the bedroom, I saw some dry blood, which had evidently been caused by the blood on the clothes of the deceased being dragged along the carpet. I think the blood had been wiped. An old flint pistol was found in the library, approximately 12 inches in length. Also a new hammer wrapped up in paper that had not been used. The sergeant goes on to say that in the room he found a sponge with some whitish red hair upon it. It was stained with blood. The coroner disposed that he attributed the death of the deceased, Mrs. Anne Watson, to the injury of the brain produced by heavy blows which caused the wounds on the head. The blows must have been given with great force and could not possibly have been self-inflicted. The coroner went on to say, I have examined the pistol produced and compared it with the wounds on the head, and in my opinion the wounds might have been inflicted by such an instrument. Several of the wounds exactly correspond with the butt end of, and trigger guard of the pistol. The stains on the pistol are evidently blood stains. The Watson's maid, Eleanor Mary Payne, deposed, I returned from town just about nine o'clock, and Mr. Watson let me in to answer of my knock. When he had opened the door and was closing it upon me, he said, Your mistress is gone out of town and won't be home until tomorrow. No further Elysium was made by my master, Reverend Mr. Watson, that night to my mistress, Mrs. Watson. As I was going to bed, when I got as far as the library, Mr. Watson opened the door of that room. He had a candle in his hand and looked down at the floor. He said, 
That stain on the floor is port wine, which your mistress has spilt. I have told you in case you might wonder what it is. That Reverend Mr. Watson had killed his wife was beyond question. They had a signed confession in his hand. The great question was why had he done it? He was known as a mild and meek man and had been a highly respected headmaster. What had driven him to the violent attack on his wife? In anticipation of a possible insanity plea, the case was investigated in depth. It became clear that there had been some measure of premeditation. This was not a crime of temporary insanity. The particular ordering of a trunk that would fit the body of his dead wife, along with some new rope with which to tie the trunk, pointed to a clear case of premeditation. From the Illustrated Police News, 21st of October, 1871. The dreadful tragedy at Stockwell. Some additional particulars in connection with the tragedy at Stockwell have been gleaned, and they tend to illustrate the domestic understanding between the accused and the victim. An ex-parish clerk who was in the service of the Reverend Mr. Watson has made the following statement. He says that for the last 20 years he had been acquainted with the Reverend Mr. Watson, who, after leaving the grammar school last Christmas, became irritable and at times despondent. The wife, who was of a nagging disposition, then became even more so. The accused Reverend Mr. Watson preached at St. Andrew's Church, Stockwell, Park Road. Whenever he ascended the pulpit, he delivered a sermon. The congregation were invariably struck with his hesitating and nervous manner and frequently left the church while he was reading in a monotonous tone a manuscript sermon. It appears that the custom of Reverend Mr. Holmes in officiating for the Reverend Mr. Clissold seemed to have caused some unpleasantness with his wife. Mrs. Watson, upon learning the nature of a visit to the Reverend Mr. Clissold, would say in a sharp tone, You shan't go. The Reverend Mr. Watson would agree with her wishes, then would slip out of the house unseen by her to attend the duties required of him. Upon his return, Mrs. Watson would become ill-tempered and frequently abused him. She was in the habit of reminding her husband of the mistakes he had made in his life, and after listening to her remark, he would go down from the house and walk up and down the Stockwell Park Road in a manner that excited the attention of passers-by. It became more and more evident that the purpose for which the large box was ordered by Mr. Watson was in order to remove the corpse of his murdered wife. It would seem, however, that second thoughts led to the abandonment of this plan as far as sending her murdered corpse some distance by rail. Had the box been delivered and taken by the murderer upstairs, the accused, the Reverend Mr. Holmes, might easily have placed the body of his victim doubled and crunched up as it was inside. But then came the difficulty of how the box was to be got down again. 
On the same day that he ordered the bolt, it is believed that he purchased a coil of new rope, for a quantity sufficient to cord the chest was found in the library after he was taken into custody. From the Stroud Journal, 28th of October, 1871, the murder by a clergyman at Stockwell. On Wednesday, the Reverend John Selby Watson, who stands charged with having murdered his wife on Sunday the 8th inst, was brought up on remand for further examination before Mr. Ellison at Lambeth Police Court. The Honourable Mr. Theisger was again present on behalf of the prisoner who maintained the same resigned, calm demeanour which has hitherto characterised him. John Mutter, a director of the South London School of Chemistry and Pharmacy in the Kennington Road, said he had analysed the contents of the bottles found on the drawers in the prisoner's bedroom where the murder was discovered. They both contained a colourless liquid, which he found to be the solution of hydroxanic acid, but not up to the standard of she's strength, which would contain 5% of the acid. The witness had also analysed the stains found on the prisoner's clothes, which he found to be stains of blood. On a pistol also which was stained, he had found some skin and about a dozen light and grey hairs in a sponge, which he analysed. Charles Turner, 219 Clapham Road, a trunk and brush manufacturer, said on Monday the 9th inst, at about half past twelve, Mr. Watson went into his shop and asked to see some trunks. He saw several and said they were not strong enough. Mr. John Selby Watson said he wanted more of a packing case. The trunk manufacturer said he would make him one. The prisoner, Mr. Watson, said he wanted one two foot nine long by two foot five inches wide and one foot nine inches deep. He said he was anxious to have it immediately, and did not really decide then upon having it made. Mr. Watson returned to the shop again, about two, and said that he would have had it made. I said, it will be a very large case, sir. Have you any idea the size it will be? And asked him what he wanted it for. He said he wanted to pack some papers in it. I said, would it not be possible for me, if I were to measure it, to put it into less space. The prisoner was decided and said, no, it must be the size I mentioned. The case was made, and about two o'clock the next day, he called again and said, don't send the case round to my house, but I will pay you for it. He gave him a ten-pound note, and I gave him the change. The prisoner, having been cautioned in the usual way, was asked if he had anything to say. He respectfully muttered, I have nothing to say. He was then committed for trial. The trial. The trial was delayed a number of times due to various illnesses of witnesses. Reverend Mr. Watson pled not guilty due to insanity. He avoided naming his wife as a provocation, but focused on temporary insanity. Many doctors were present in court testifying to Watson's state of mind at the time of the murder. The jury found him guilty, but with a strong recommendation for leniency. 
The reasons were that Mr. Watson was a clergyman, he was aged, he had throughout life born before the world a good character, and he received a great provocation from his wife. Reverend Mr. Watson had his sentence of death commuted to penal servitude for life by the Home Office. From the Cheltenham Examiner, 31st of January 1872, a respite has been forwarded to the Surrey County Prison for staying the execution of the Reverend John Selby Watson with a view of commutation of the capital sentence passing on him to penal servitude for life. The Exeter Flying Press had strong views on this, stating that his defence insanity plea had been discredited and that a clergyman should be tried to a higher standard. He continued that his being a clergyman only increased the atrocity of the crime. The Reverend John Selby Watson was sent to Parkhurst Prison, where he died at the age of 80 on the 6th of July, 1884, from falling out of his prison hammock. That concludes this episode of When Reverends Go Bad. We really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe and tell your friends. Subscribing really helps us. We are aiming for 1,000 subscribers. We upload daily. Our longer episodes are Tuesdays, which focuses on an interesting story of its time. Wednesdays, which we have called Whitechapel Wednesdays. Thursdays, where we put together a collection of stories around a common theme and our new Serial Killer Saturdays. With shorter, but we still believe interesting stories uploaded on the other days of the week. For our podcast listeners, you can see this podcast with the associated pictures on our YouTube channel at News of the Times. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you again for watching and listening. This has been News at the Times, and I am Robin Coles.